you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. I want to talk on a great subject, and the title of the message today is, It's More Than Just a Prayer. It is more than just a prayer. It amazes me, and it's amazing as we look through our church and the history of our church and just the services and the moves of God that we have seen and the outpouring of God's Spirit. It's amazing how many people that we have seen who have come and prayed a prayer to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, but yet still live unchanged. Let me say that again. It's amazing how many people come forward or respond in their seat and say, yes, and they will be led in a prayer as we lead them in a prayer. But yet it's amazing how many people still leave unchanged. I want to talk today about the change that I believe comes about in every one of our lives when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. Why? Because it's more than just a prayer. It's not just praying a prayer and bam. There's more to the relationship with God. It's a new way of living. It's a transformation that will change you from the inside out. What is it? Yes, it's a prayer of acceptance, but yet it's also an opening up of your life and your heart, surrendering and yielding and saying, God, I want your power to operate, to rule and have control of my life. Truly being saved, truly being transformed and changed means we'll come in one way and we'll leave out another You know, we see this in the early founding or the foundation of the early church. After the day of Pentecost, Pentecost is 50, so the 50th day after the Passover was the day of Pentecost. So after the day of Pentecost, when we know God's Spirit fell on those who were in the upper room, about 120 people who were in the upper room, and the power of God fell upon them. But as a result of the moving of God's Spirit upon their life, as the Holy Spirit came with the infilling of the tongues, it's amazing that we see a group of people turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. A group of people from one encounter with God left so changed, that this whole world is still being changed today because of the experience that they received. It amazes me because here's the deal. If we want to know how to do something, especially today, we can go on the internet and we can Google something or we can search something or we can find manuals, we can go to a library, we can call up people. There's so many wealths of knowledge that we can have today in order to be able to do something. They didn't have a wealth of knowledge that they could draw on on how to be a church. There'd never been a church before. They didn't have, they couldn't go and get books 101 ways to do church. They couldn't go to the library and say church for dummies. How many knows there's a lot of books out there for dummies? There wasn't church for dummies, 101 ways to do church. But yet, because of what took place in their lives, There was such a change that it turned this world upside down. And why was this world changed? Because of their encounter, their experience with Christ. As they surrendered their lives, God changed them. And as a result of the change, they devoted their lives to Christ. I'm here to tell you today, God's still in the changing business. 
I said, God's still in the changing business. And he hasn't finished with any of us yet. But as long as we keep our lives open to him, he will come in and change us and fashion us and form us so that his image, his likeness would once again be seen in us. Look at this verse from Acts 2, verse 42. The Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. This is talking about the early church. They continued steadfastly. Another translation says, They devoted themselves. There was a devotion that came as they surrendered and yielded themselves. But what did they devote themselves to? What did they remain steadfast to? It says, To the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine is just another word for teachings. To the teachings of the apostles, that which was being taught of that day. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the apostles' doctrine. I want to talk about the teachings that it's more than a prayer, but how God wants to change your lives as we devote and give everything to Him. If you would turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 8. We're going to read a number of verses from here. So if you've got your Bibles, keep them open and we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen with us. And incidentally, go out and buy yourself a nice journal for church. Go out and buy yourself a nice note pen or a nice pen and begin to take notes in the house of God. Because there are things, I believe, that are going to be discussed today and when we come together that you're going to need maybe tomorrow and the next day and in the future. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 8, Paul says these words. For even I made you sorry with my letter. I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle, epistle is just a writing or a letter. For I receive that the same epistle made to you sorry, or made you sorry, though only for a while. Let me stop quickly and explain what Paul is saying here. Paul has written a letter or an epistle to the church of Corinth. Some feel that this letter he's referring to was a third letter that he wrote, which is now lost, that we do not have. But others feel that he is referencing Corinthians or 1 Corinthians, the first letter or the first epistle that he has written to them. Whichever one it is, that which was written to them had made such an impact on their lives that they began to change the way they live. So Paul has written something, they're hard words, but he has written them for a purpose. Because there's sin in their lives. There's things that they are doing that are wrong. So he addresses the wrong in order that they can turn from those ways. And they can start living a godly life. There's some words in that verse that may be confusing at first. And it's not that Paul is trying to contradict himself. What does he say? I do not regret it. Then he says, though I did regret it. What is that? We know Paul sent the letter, but what he was sorry for and what he regretted was not the fact he sent the letter, but he was regretting or he is sorry for the content of that which he had to write. What do I mean by that? There's times in our lives that we have to tell people things that we don't always want to tell them because they should know better. There's things in our lives that we have to address that we've already covered and it should be a given and it should be something that's already known. But what? There's still things that must be said. Paul is saying this, you know, I'm sorry that if I've hurt you, but here's the deal. You perhaps need to be hurt because the ways that you're going and the direction you're heading is completely wrong. So let's read on in verse 9. It says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow has led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. New Living Translation says, Now I am glad that I sent it. 
Not because it hurt you. Come on, none of us are ever glad. You know, when we discipline our children, it's a tough thing for parents. We don't like to discipline our children in the realm of making them sad and upset and making them cry. But when we see the big picture and we understand if we don't correct that now, it's going to grow and it's going to cause greater problems in the future. So we need to address that right now. We don't like to hurt people, but sometimes it's important or it's needed that we perhaps get our feelings hurt a little bit. Or we get kind of set back on track. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to have remorse and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you are not harmed by us in any way. Verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance. Would you note the next word? Note the next word that comes after the word repentance, would you? What is it? Leading to Salvation, not to be regretted. God uses the sorrow or the repentance, the asking for forgiveness in our lives to help us to turn away from sin and seek His salvation. You see, repentance is a turning and a seeking. Repentance is a turning and a seeking after God. Say that with me, turning and seeking. Come on, say that one more time. Turning and seeking. New Living Translation says, We will never regret that kind of sorrow or repentance. Why? Because we believe and know that repentance leads to salvation, a change, a new person, a new being. Let me finish that verse, verse 10. But the sorrow of the world will produce death. What we've just read really in verse 10 specifically is two different types of repentance. The first repentance is referred to as godly Repentance. It is the type of repentance where we admit the failures and the shortcomings of our sins. Realizing we cannot do life on our own, but we need the help of a Savior. That we surrender, that we yield, that we give our lives to Christ. And as a result, it leads to salvation. There is a change that comes as the result of that type of repentance. But we also read of another type of repentance. I'm sorry. Saying the word sorry, but yet not taking it any further. Have you thought really about what the word sorry means? Sorry is such a twisted word today. Because the true intent of the word sorry is not only I'm sorry for the action that I have done. It's not just an apology for the act or for the word or whatever the case may be. It's not just an apology, but yet true sorry is almost a statement of what? I'm not going to do that again. That's what true sorry is. True, being truly sorry is, means it's more than remorse just because I got caught. Come on, hands in the cookie jar. I'm sorry you caught me. Many say sorry, but yet they truly don't mean it. To be truly sorry is to say, I'm not going to do that again. A lot of people use the word sorry just to buy time until the next time. When they can go off and do the same thing. Listen, that's not true repentance. Come on right now. Come on, that's not true salvation. Of what God wants in our lives. Sorrow for our sins and being sorry for our sins in a worldly sense can change our behavior. Many people are only changed because they feel remorse for the effects of their sins. 
or for being caught red-handed. The Bible says that sorrow without repentance. And you know what we just read in the last part of verse 10? It says, but that type of sorrow or the sorrow of the world will produce death. If it was only a physical death there, that wouldn't be so bad. But the death it is indicating there speaks of a spiritual death, which means eternal separation from God. Every one of us are going to breathe our last breath here on this earth one day or another, unless the rapture of the church happens and God takes his people home. But if we breathe our last breath, our last breath will be breathed here, but then our next breath will either be breathed in heaven or in hell. The Bible says that worldly sorrow, not true remorse, no changing, just being caught in the act and apologizing for the effect, but not really truly being sorrow will produce death in our lives. New Living Translation says, But sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. If our lives are going to be changed, we must experience godly repentance. So many people are influenced. You can be around other people and they can influence you. What do I mean by that? You can be around the wrong crowd. And what tends to happen? You don't tend to lift them up to your level. You tend to be sucked or drawn down to where they're at. You are influenced. How many times have we said that to our children? I don't want you hanging around with that person. For what reason? They're a bad influence. What does it mean? You change. You're different when you're around them. The way you speak. The way you act. Come on, it's not right. You're influenced. So in the same way that we can be influenced for the bad, we can be influenced for the good. And I believe it's good to be around people who will influence you for your good. But yet, is that true salvation only being influenced? No. True salvation is being changed. True godly repentance involves a change that happens in our lives. Come on, say with me, it's more than just a prayer. It's more than just a prayer. Now, prayers are great and we ask people to pray that because it's a starting point where we surrender and yield and ask God to come into our lives. But the process of salvation only begins right then. It doesn't end. I've prayed the prayer. Now, I can just go out and do whatever I want and just all the... There's now something that God wants to begin to do inside of every one of our lives. It's not that I don't want to labor on this point, but you've got to get this point this morning. Repentance is more than just being sorry. Watch out, I was caught. Or I hurt someone, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I used to think sorry would get me out of a spanking. How many, how many ever knew that one? Especially if you turned on the waterworks with the sorrow. Come on. My mum and dad used to tell me, boy, that crying ain't going to help you. Come on. How many have ever heard those words? Cry all you want. Here's the one my mum used to give me. But let me truly give you something to cry about. Come on. Anyone heard that one? Come on. I thought my mum only wrote that. But every mum must know that one. Come over here, boy, and I'll give you something to cry about. My mum said, if you want to cry... You're just going to make it worse for yourself. How many heard that one too? How many ever tried the book in the pants? Come on now. Anyone ever tried that one? The thing I used to do was I used to hide my mum's wooden spoons. My mum used to use wooden spoons. And she would just go over to that drawer and she would just shake that drawer. It was in the cutlery drawer and you heard that. Now the only thing that worked for me was we had this big kind of breakfast bar area, an island in the middle of our kitchen. And what would happen is my mum would go and shake the drawer and I knew that was the last warning. Then when that drawer opened, come on, it was D-Day. It was on. Now the only good thing I had going for me, I was faster than my mum. 
So me and her would be running around this island and around this bar, and she'd be chasing, she'd be one end, and I'd be going. But you know, I soon learned this. It was a whole lot better for me just to stop and take it before I really made her mad. How many knows what I'm talking about? And then if she couldn't catch me or if I didn't give in, then we had those words, just wait till your father gets home. You're like, no, 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 no. So I used to hide the wooden spoons. But I found out that didn't work either. She had secret stashes. She would find them. But you know what? I'm sorry. And we would think it would make it so much better. But you know what? True sorry or repentance is a change of direction. It's a change of direction. If I'm trying to get somewhere which is west, I'm never going to get there if I'm going east. I'm going in the opposite direction. True repentance is literally to turn your life completely around. From those things that you used to do. And to start heading in the opposite direction. Living your life on a new course. A complete turnaround that leads to a life of service. A life that is now given to God. That's what we just read in the book of Acts. That's the apostles' doctrine. That's what they committed their lives to. What was it? It was the doctrine of repentance. I want to talk about the true doctrine of repentance today. And again, a doctrine is a teaching, or a taught truth, or a belief. And I'm telling you today, repentance is a truth that every one of us needs to live by. And every one of us needs to follow. So what takes place in The life of someone who truly repents. What turns them from their sins? What happens when we truly ask God and we have godly repentance? Not just because emotionalism, not because everyone else is doing it, or not just because that's what my mom wants or my dad wants. What truly happens in our lives when we take our lives more than a prayer? And we truly are sorry and truly are repentant before God. I believe there are seven things that we're going to see. And we find each one of these seven things in the next verse of 2 Corinthians 7. And that's verse 11. And it says these words. For I observe this very thing. That you have sorrowed in a godly manner. What he's saying to them is... Some of you kind of did it wrong and you were just sorry because you caught. You changed for a while. But there's others of you that have truly repented, truly asked for forgiveness. There's those of you who are truly sincere in that which you desire to live by. And what Paul is saying is those of you who are truly sincere, here's what takes place. Or here's what true repentance will produce In every one of your lives. Seven things. Number one. What does it go on to say? What diligence it has produced in you. Number two. What clearing of yourselves. Number three. What indignation. Number four. What fear. Number five. What venomant desire. I like that word, venomant. That's going to go in my... Dictionary, just like circumspectly. I like that. Circumspectly and venomant. They're good words, huh? What venomant desire. Number six, what zeal. And number seven, what vindication. And he goes on to round that verse off with these words. In all things, you prove yourself to be clear in this matter. In other words, he's saying, here's the checklist. Have you cleared your life? Are you living in true repentance, allowing these things to be evident in your life? Now, some people will say, well, hey, I can do this, I can do this, and I can do this. Listen, we've got to watch that we aren't just going through one, two, three, four, five, because we cannot earn our own salvation. 
It's not nothing we can do. Well, Pastor Philip, you're saying we need to do these things. Yes, I am. But I'm saying you do these as a result of surrendering, yielding your life to Christ. You cannot save yourself. If you could save yourself, God would not have had to send his son to come and die for every one of us. We can't save ourselves. In fact, Sam read from Isaiah today. He said the fact that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That means the best that we can have in our lives is just as nothing. As filth, detestable, unacceptable before God. So we know that true salvation is through repentance as we ask God into our lives and there's no other way. But as a result of that salvation, there are things that I believe are required of each one of us. Hasten, it's more than just a prayer. To truly repent and give my life to Christ is to choose to live life by a new way. To choose life, to live life by God's way. To allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of me. To realize that now I'm a new person. That is really awesome that. That I can be completely this way, give my life to Christ and now I'm a new person. You see, salvation is illogical. You can't figure it out with your mind. Because we try and say, well, hold on a second, you did this and you did that. How can you be forgiven? How can you be a new person? In the eyes of God, you are. It's illogical. You can't figure it out. In fact, most of the things of God that we would see, you cannot accept logically. You've got to accept them by faith, by hope, by belief, by trust in God. And I choose to like that one because if I'm trying to figure out why I should be saved, I'm never going to be saved. Do I hear an amen in the hands? I mean, I'm the worst of the worst. I don't care I'm a pastor. Come on. I still have struggles and hardships and I wasn't a good boy even though I was brought up in a Christian home. Do I hear an amen? amen? Logically, it doesn't make sense. Why would God use me? Why would God forgive me? Why would God touch me? But yet he has. And as I surrender to that way and I say, God, I repent and I cry out. I don't always understand why you want to use me. I don't always understand perhaps your plan and purpose for my life. But as I surrender, as I repent, as I ask you to be the Lordship of my life, God begins to make me a new person. Salvation in regards to the fact of really being saved. We know that Jesus did that upon the cross. But I also believe that it's time that each one of us knows what it is to live saved and live according to God's word. That's why I preach so often how important church is. Church doesn't save you. You maybe met Christ in church, thank God for that. But church is not that which saves you. But church is that which gives you and I the tools and the guidance and the support to help us stay saved. So I want to have a look at this list of seven things today that I believe needs to take place. And true repentance produces or needs to produce in every one of our lives. Because it's more than just a prayer. What accompanies true repentance? A surrendered heart. Point number one. What diligence... It produced in you. Say with me the word faithfulness. Can you say that? Faithfulness. As a result of true repentance, faithfulness becomes a part of our lives. I love how the King James puts it. The King James Version says this, What carefulness it has wrought in you. Let me say that again. What carefulness it has wrought in you you. What it's really referring to, the diligence, the faithfulness, the carefulness in our lives is when we truly repent and cry out for God, there's now such a desire inside of us to immediately begin to correct the wrong that we have lived by and done in our lives. We taught on faithfulness on Wednesday night and I read this scripture out as I quoted a verse and it said this from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. It says this and Paul's writing again. He says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In this passage, Paul is addressing 
his concern in regard to the faithfulness of the people of that day. Or really to their lack of faithfulness. He said that someone may come and preach another Jesus and another gospel. And he said, I'm worried that you're going to be swayed and you're just going to run off and you're going to believe every lie and everything that you hear. So what does he use? He uses the analogy of marriage. A marriage covenant. Showing us that how our love should be for Christ alone. Just as a husband's and wife's love, they should faithfully save and give their love only for each other. Paul is saying our commitment to Christ must be the same, wholeheartedly, completely given to Him, totally faithful. As we repent and ask God for forgiveness... There should be a diligence that's produced inside of us that we immediately want to make right those things that are wrong. That we desire to live faithfully only for Him. Having eyes only for Him. Eyes that are fixed on Him. What do we see next? Point number two. What clearing of your cells. New Living Translation says, such concern to clear yourselves. Literally, what that is meaning is this that we now apologize, ask forgiveness, confess our faults, and say, God, I'm sorry. Because true repentance, after all, must have forgiveness that comes with it. Can you remember when you got saved and you gave your life to Christ that how you felt so bad for the things that you had done against God? That you felt so guilty for the way that you had acted and the way that you had lived, the way that you had misused the incredible gift of life, that your life was just a poly. God, I'm so sorry. Some of you perhaps tears had rolling down your face saying, God, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? That you realized the actions of your life were displeasing and hurtful to God. What does that show us? It shows us the personalization of salvation. That we feel remorse because of how we have hurt God. So it shows the fact of how salvation is a personal relationship with God. You see, it's not what the world that's doing that hurts God. It's not what this nation's doing that hurts God. But you've got to understand it's what I'm doing. It's what you are doing. It's those things that hurt God. In the book of Acts in chapter 7, and you don't have to turn there, but we read of Stephen. And Stephen stands before the religious leaders after being accused, wrongfully I may add, of blaspheming against God. And they begin to stone him because of his words. And they're angry and they're upset with him. And you can read this in chapter 7, verse 55 and 56. But the Bible says this, that the heavens were opened. And Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, the Bible doesn't directly say it, but I believe the Bible says it. That Jesus looked at Stephen when he is there and he has been stoned and he's looking up into heaven. I believe that Stephen made eye contact with Jesus. And all of a sudden, a smile broke out on the face of God. As God looked down, not because of the pain and the anguish he was in, But God looked down to see a life that was pleasing to him. I wonder today if we're a smile on the face of God. Or we're a tear in his eye. Is your life a smile on the face of God? Because why? As we give our lives to God, there should be a clearing of ourselves that we apologize. And as a result of that apology, there's a change in the way we live. The Bible says that Enoch pleased God. What an incredible testimony to be pleasing to God, to allow the actions of our lives to be pleasing to God. As a result of godly repentance, there should be a life of pleasing. And it's not something that should be forced upon me. It's something now I do because of the love and the forgiveness that's been given to me. What's the third thing that we see? 
What indignation. That word indignation literally means to have a hatred to sin or the sins that we used to live by. If you come into church and you say yes to Jesus Christ and you leave and you just go back to the same way, listen, you haven't truly repented and surrendered your life to God. There should now be such a hatred, such an indignation inside of you that you no longer desire that sinful behavior. Come on, we may still struggle a little bit with the addictions and the, and, and the desire for smoking or all these, whatever that may be. We may desire those wrong things and we may have to battle through that. But there should be something inside of us that turns around and says, I don't want that no more. There should be an indignation, the Bible says, that comes as a result of godly repentance. I believe there's a change of appetite that God can give you. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, he's a new creation. Notice what it says, old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. What does that mean? That's the old me. There's a new me now. Come on, that was what I used to do. But there's a new me right now. Come on, true repentance realizes that those old things weren't benefit in my life. Now there's such a hatred, there's such a pushing away from those things that I want to run as far as I possibly can from those things. I remember hearing a story in England, in our church in England, about a man who'd got saved. He'd just come to church and, and he'd asked God into his heart and life. And he wasn't a churchgoer. He didn't know the Word of God. He didn't know what God's Word said about specific things. But he just knew that he needed to read God's Word. So he was laying in his bed that morning and he just opened up a scripture. I can't remember the scripture it was, but it wasn't really a powerful scripture, if you want to say it like that. And I know all scripture is powerful and life-changing, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't one of those, you need to do this or you're going to burn. It wasn't one of those big things. He was just reading the scripture. All of a sudden, he felt impressed upon his heart that there was a liquor cabinet in his house. That he all of a sudden felt impressed in his life. That he needed to get up and tip every piece of that liquor down the toilet. His wife wakes up and he's in the other room. She said, what's the deal? And he's there and she's hearing, glum, 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 glum. And he's tipping it all out. She said, what's the deal? He says, I don't know what happened, but I read the word of God and something came upon me. And there was all of a sudden a desire for those things no longer. And all of a sudden God said, eliminate those things out of your life. Come on, that's true repentance. That there's a change of heart. There's a change of desire. That those things I used to have and those things that were a part of my life and those things that have told me and lied to me and say, I cannot live without, God can set you free. God can set you free. We're going to be praying for freedom tonight. We're believing for freedom. Why? Because the Bible says, whom the sun sets is free indeed. So many want... So many today want to remain living with their sinful desires and with their addictions and strongholds, but yet still wanting to hold on to Christ. Come on, true repentance. What indignation. I don't want those things anymore. A hatred towards those things. To remove them as far as possible out of our lives. Which may also mean having to say goodbye to old relationships, to friendships, to acquaintances. Those that will engage us in sin again. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company will corrupt bad habits. Oh, let me say that again. Evil company corrupts good behavior. Sorry, got that wrong. Do not be deceived. Evil company, bad company, will corrupt good behavior or good habits in your life. Verse 34 of that says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Think about that. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Turn from sin. No longer want those things. Moving on quickly, I'm almost finished. Number four, what fear? New Living Translation says, such alarm. Having a fear of God in the sense of a respect and an awe for Him. So many today have lost their fear of God. 
How do you know that? Because if we really had a fear of God in our lives, we wouldn't do a fraction of the things that we do. We have little or no respect for God and the ways of God. And as a result, we live in such ungodly ways. Thank God we still don't live in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, there was an account that some people stood up against Moses and said, we don't like your leadership. What they were doing was they were questioning God's leadership because God put Moses in charge of the children of Israel. You know what happened to those people? The ground opened up, swallowed them all. Wow. How are you glad you don't live in the Old Testament anymore? I mean, could you imagine that day? I'd be climbing trees. I'd be doing whatever. I didn't want my feet to be touching the ground. Could you imagine all of a sudden, perfectly good ground just opens and wham and closes back over those people? Wow. There was some fear of God that day. You know, people talk about snake handling churches and all these kind of things. You know what? They say... This is their thinking, and I mean, it's crazy. We're not going to be a snake handling church, so don't worry. But they say if there's no sin in your life, the snakes won't bite you. Maybe that would be a great altar call one day, just to bring some snakes in here, man. We'd have the biggest altar call ever. Everyone would be repenting for things they didn't even know they had done. Come on. God, forgive me, because I know I'm going to do something tomorrow and the next day. Help me, God! But you see, the fear that they had that day, you've got to understand this, has never been the fear that God wants mankind to have. God doesn't want man to have a fear that repels them from him, that they're so afraid of. Listen, if you're afraid of someone, you don't want to be near them. If you've got a fear of clans, when a clan walks in the room, you're running the other way. If you've got a fear of like Mickey Mouse, what my kids used to be freaked out. Hannah was freaked out with, um, I think it was Hannah or Brittany, I always get confused. One of them was freaked out with Chuck E. Cheese, but every year they wanted their birthday at Chuck E. Cheese. Don't understand it. Every time Chuck E. Cheese came out to the happy birthday, they were gone. They were under the table. They were nowhere to be seen. But every year they wanted their birthday there. I think it's Brittany and I think she's still scared of him. There you go. But the fear that God wants us to have is not that type of fear. But it's having such a respect, such an awe of that person that I don't want to do anything that would, number one, give them a bad name. Or number two, would cause them any harm or hurt them in any way. God longs to have such a relationship with us that we'll love him in such a way that we don't want to do anything that disappoints him and hurts him. That's godly fear. That's a product of repentance. True repentance more than just a prayer. Number five, what vehement desire. Which means now there's such a strong desire inside of me to do the right things. I used to be Mr. Wrong, but now I want to be Mr. Right. I want to do the right things. Does it mean I'm going to be perfect and do them every time? No, but there's now a desire inside. Do you understand that? A change of desire that now I want to do the right things. I want to make the right decisions. I want to make the right choices in my life. I want to surrender myself and surround myself with wise counsel. I want to read his word. For what reason? It's the manual or the instruction book of how to do life. I want to know what's pleasing to him. I want to know what's right. I want to know what's wrong. That's true repentance. Now I want to make sure that everything I do, there's a vehement desire, not just a little desire, a vehement desire, an almost overwhelming desire for me now to want to do what's right. Number six, what zeal. The word zeal in the word of God speaks of such total sold out commitment. That they were zealous for God. That they had a zeal for God. What total commitment. You see, true repentance brings commitment. That you will want to be committed to God. Totally surrendered to God. Not in and out. Not this way and that way. Not living this way and that. Being a Sunday Christian and maybe a Wednesday It's a true commitment, 24-7, 365, 366 every four years. Totally given out to Christ, no matter where you are. Committed to God. That's true repentance. 
Not just, I'm sorry, I've been caught, and when they turn their back, I'm back doing it. True repentance is, there's a change inside of me. There's a commitment. There's a passion in the last. Number seven, what vindication. New Living Translation says, such readiness to punish the wrongdoer. The King James Version says, such revenge. I like this. As a result of salvation, as a result of godly repentance, which leads to salvation, a change inside of my life, there's now something inside of me that wants to do everything possible to dethrone the powers of darkness. That's the revenge that we're talking about. I want to do everything within my power. I want to tell whoever I can. I want to be a light in darkness. I want to plunder hell. And I want to populate heaven. Come on, I want to give Satan a black eye with the life that I live because he thought he had me. Come on, he thought he had me. He was the puppeteer and I, he had the strings, but thank God, God came and cut the strings. As I repented and cried out to God and the change that's come as a result, now there's a vindication inside of my life that I get angry. Smith Wigglesworth, I've got to say this, Smith Wigglesworth was an incredible guy and this was his method of praying for people. And Listen, you've got to really hear from God when you pray for people like this. Smith Wigglesworth would take his fist. It's been recorded. People had cancer in their stomach. He would take his fist and he would go up to that person and he would punch them in the stomach. A baby was brought to him and its bones were all disjointed and it was a high platform with concrete floors. And Smith Wigglesworth said, put that baby on the edge of the platform. And you know what he did? He didn't reach down and pray for that child. He cooked his foot and he kicked that baby off the platform. And it fell to the ground. There was a recording that Smith Wigglesworth went on a hospital visitation and he was going from bed to bed and he walked into this room and there was a man who had the cancer and Smith Wigglesworth began to pray for him and he punched the man in the stomach and prayed for him and went to the next bed. There was a commotion. All of a sudden the man's dead. You killed the man. He kept praying for the next person. By the time he had finished that prayer, the man he had punched in the stomach was standing beside him, alive, completely healed and set free. Someone said to him, why do you do that? He said, because I've got such a hatred for Satan. Because that cancer that they have in their body, Satan put it there. And I'm punching Satan full in the face. I'm taking back what Satan has tried to steal from us. There's a hunger inside of me. There's a righteous indignation inside of me. There's a vindication inside of me that says, Satan, you're not going to have that person anymore. You've got to really hear from God to do that. But why did he do that? Because of the anger and the hatred and the revenge that he desired to inflict upon Satan. Living in a new way. Living in a new day. Living in the fullness of Christ. You see, true repentance is more than just a prayer. That's the beginning. Come on, true repentance is a diligence in your life, a faithfulness to God. It's apologizing to God. It's apology to God. It's having a hatred to the sin, to the things you used to do. I don't want those things anymore. A shunning of sin. It's a reverence and a fear of God. It's a complete desire to do right, to live right. Total zeal, commitment over to God and it's to live in such a way that will plunder hell and populate heaven that's the apostles doctrine that's what's brought about such a change in people's lives that the church multiplied and grew why? because of the change that took place I'm going to say this statement as I close this morning If you are not changed as the result of your salvation experience, you need to go back and truly repent. Because true repentance leads to salvation. And salvation is a change of life that you will never be the same again. It's time to quit playing church. It's time to be his church. 
And listen to me, if I'm going to be his church, people are going to see it. Who have you told lately that you're a Christian? I wonder how many people you've had to tell that you're a Christian. Because here's the deal. You won't have to tell anyone anyone if you live like it. Because they'll know. How do they know? Because repentance, godly repentance, brings about a God-given change in your life. Why would I preach a message on this? To condemn you and say that you're not saved? No. I would preach a message on this because I believe that true salvation will bring a change. True salvation is more than just saying yes to Jesus Christ. It's more than just a prayer. It's now living according to his word and allowing godly sorrow or repentance to take over your life that will lead you to a change that you'll never be the same. Would you stand to your We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.